shine on, shine on forever till it's gone. It will shine on forever in darkness and bad weather to light your way home, darling one. There's a cool breeze blowing in my heart, in my heart. A cool breeze blowing in my heart. Gentle leaves are falling all around the yard like the last time I held you in my arms. No one ever knows what we'll find down the road. My love travels with you no matter where you go. There's a light in the window that will always shine on to light your way home, darling Again, once at once, it's usually once a month, but now twice a month is great. <laughs> Here's a song. Oh, St. Patrick's Day is upon us, really, right? Almost pretty much, we're in the season. So, and I have to come up with Irish tunes to sing. This is not an Irish tune. <laughs> but this is uh, typical of my, my fashion. I will pass this off as an Irish tune because a lot of Irish people sing it um, and make good versions of it. So it's one that's in our songbook, actually, at the Old Town School. 
It's called the Lakes of Punch Train. It was on one bright May morning. I did New Orleans do. Promised she would wait for him and true she 
Tell us a little bit about that song. I know it's been around for a while. Yeah. I've heard a few versions. Yeah, well, the versions I've heard is Paul Brady and, uh, and the um, mandolin player, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember his name. Um, but Paul Brady was the singer. And uh, that's it's a really great old folk tune. Um, and it, just like a lot of great old American folk tunes, they get c- collected by the by Irish singers so that's one of them and uh was attempting to do the version the paul brady version <laughs> which we used to have in our songbook at the old town school now we, we reverted back to the more standard version which is also really good let's um yeah but why don't we since we've brought it up let's talk about the songbook and then we could go back and talk a little bit more about your own musical career but how did it come about how did the decision come about that it was time for a new songbook Oh, it's been, you know, 10 years, so that's about the right amount of time to revise a book, and uh, our contract with Hal Leonard was that we would need to wait, you know, about that long before we make any changes, and so that was one thing, and a lot of teachers, uh, myself included, wanted to try and make it a little bit of a better teaching tool, Um, and so that's... There was a, there was a lot of grumbling about that for years, and then I I finally said, well, let's, let's give it a try. What what sort of things make it a better teaching tool? Well, we had um, five teachers working with me um, to uh, create the the charts, the actual like melody arrangements and chord arrangements. So um, I think before it was sort of channeled through like about one and a half people. <laughs> so we have we were I was lucky. I had some really good help, and uh, we were able to take every chart and really look at it like. How would you sing? You know, how can we put this together so you, you know, it's a version that you could sing, and how could the chords be uh, better, and and how could everything as a as a chart come together so that when you look at it, you go, oh, I really want to try and play that. You know, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the arrangements in the older book had um, strange rhythmic um, ideas about there were a lot of a lot of uh, eighth notes with bars across <laughs> which look very very intimidating um but um so these are nice round notes with dots by them and <laughs> uh, how who were the people that you worked with well it was um let's see the the team was donna bankert who's the dulcimer teacher at the old town school 
who's also a whiz with um, laying out uh, things in finale. So she did a lot of, a lot of the layout work. Uh, Kathy um, Cowan actually put in a couple of Scottish tunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kathy, um, uh, the other Kathy, the, a lot of the guitar teachers. So, okay. um, no, Kathy Norton, yeah. Uh-huh. Kathy Norton was a huge source for like uh, getting things in the right meter, getting things in the right key. Um, really good. Um, Chris Walls was part of the part of the crew. Paul K weighed in as well. Was there? What's the thing that people have complained about not being there? If anything, yet. Well, there's what's, never been a lot of direct complaining yet, but uh, <laughs> there's 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 some grumbling. Um, uh, I think there's a, there were some complaints about things not being in keys that are singable, but that's always a very big challenge. And when you're, so you always kind of have to strike a balance on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we tried, we, I, I had three women on the, on the, uh, on the panel, on my, on my editorial panel. And we, we tried very hard to make sure that we had a certain amount of things that were in a very good key for, for women to sing and men to sing. So. And how about, what have you kind of, Expanded? Are there certain types of songs that you have in there now that may not have been there before? Oh yeah, there's um, there's more. I think um, string band type material that's in there, and there's more of an understanding of of how there's an African African American influence in string band music, and that's that's right in the annotations that that are in the book, and it's in the arrangements that are there too, because we would try to uh, use source, you know, go back to like. Source material that was um, er, a little earlier and, and not over, not necessarily oversimplify things. So, so, so the string band material has a fiddle melody as well as a, the melody that you sing. So, very exciting. <laughs> do, you, do you see it um, changing? You know the way things happen at certain you know so, so, circles or jams or anything. Are there certain things you would hope it would open up? Yeah, I think I, I hope it'll open up people people um, playing to, playing a little bit more and playing not just singing but also playing instrumental parts and and bringing that in and possibly bringing in some of the banjo and fiddle and mandolin classes to uh, play together if we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe you could play for us uh, some something, something the from book. the songbook yeah. and then we'll come back and chat some more. This is a tune that I always thought was a Norman Blake tune because Norman Blake did this. Um, thanks. Now I'm comfortable. This is how I spend most of my Tuesday nights. <laughs> anyway, so this tune was a lot older than that. This is came from a guy named James Bland, mid 19th century, who uh, was a minstrel musician. He was an African-American minstrel musician, which there were only a few of, but he was super prolific. He wrote a lot of songs for his minstrel, minstrel troupe. Um, so if, if you guys remember what minstrel, minstrelsy is, or was, it, it was, fortunately. It's, <laughs> it, it, it was basically a send-up of, of African-American mannerisms, ha- ha- um, habits, music, and it was not it was not kindly uh, delivered a lot of the time. It was kind it was delivered in a real kind of down the no, looking down their nose way. And it was it was very very a lot of music has worked away from that and evolved like the evolution has been to go get away from that. But 
a lot, a lot of music was started back then under those auspices. And so we have to kind of be conscious of that and then know where our origins are. So there's a definition of minstrelsy that's in the book. You can read it, it's, it's good. Um, this is an interesting thing. Hand Me Down by Walking Cane is like every bluegrass song you've ever heard. It sounds like a bluegrass song. It, 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 the chords lay out just like a bluegrass song. <laughs> um, but it was invented by a guy writing for a minstrel troupe um, who's African-American and lived in the North. <laughs> but it, you'll get an idea of what, a little bit of what, what the flavor is here. As you know, bluegrass has no problem talking about delinquency, drunken behavior, and <laughs> splitting up with your, uh, your uh, girlfriend or wife. Or, um, and I think, they, I think this, this tune is kind of like making fun of that, actually. <laughs> Hand me down my walking cane. Hand me down my walking cane. Down my walking cane, I'm gonna leave on the morning train. My sins they have overtaken me. I got high and I got in jail. Lord, I got high and I got in jail. I got high and I got in jail. Ain't nobody for to go my bail. All my sins. They have overtaken me Well, the beans was tough And the meat was fat Oh, the beans was tough And the meat was fat Well, the beans was tough And the meat was fat Oh, my God, I couldn't eat that Oh, my sins They have overtaken me And me down my walk the morning train my sins they have overtaken me
my walking cane Hand me down my walking cane I'm on to leave on the morning train My sins, they have overtaken me Sort of like all the old, um, you know, shoot 'em up bluegrass songs you always knew, but it was written 100 years before. Right, and somebody else thought it was good and they put it into their form and there yeah. it stayed. Um, tell us a little bit about how you first got started playing music. Oh, I was just, uh, they had music classes in school when I was a kid. So there was a small orchestra, like, and well, actually, it was an orchestra. That's where it ended up. But it started as a chamber orchestra group, um, and before that, there was just lessons in in violin. So that was like a good. That was a good run of like three, four years. It was a very, um, really got invested in it. And then, when did you kind of find your way towards folk music? Uh, we always we had the folk music in the home when I was okay. a kid. So we we tried to do the make a bit make a circle around you know the dining room table get the books out and play the auto harp and oh, wow. mandolin we, we my my parents were into tr trying that so they both played instruments yeah my dad my dad played this guitar actually this wow. was this was his guitar um and uh my mom played the auto harp she would she it would usually go like when she was practicing it would usually go like she'd strum like a few chords and then like she'd have to make a change and, and but she didn't wasn't sure where to go so she'd swear <laughs> Damn! <laughs> it's like she she'd really get into it, you know, while she was on the right chord and singing along, and then she'd have to change it anyway. <laughs> you always heard when the change was coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you guys were playing just kind of uh, all sorts of different folk music. Uh, did you have siblings? Yeah, I had a brother. Uh, he was I don't know where he was doing catching catching frogs or something, but he he wasn't it didn't get into the music as much. Uh, at the time, so. And how did you find your way towards Chicago? Oh, it was a long route. I, I navigated to college in Ohio uh, at Oberlin College, and uh, then that that worked out ex really well. They had to tell me to go home. Actually, <laughs> <It was, laughs> I had such a good time. Um, but and I I met you know I met my my then girlfriend and my wife there and she was from Ann Arbor and that wasn't too far too far from um, from Oberlin Ohio so I said oh, okay well, let's do that so <laughs> we moved there for five years and then to Chicago in 95 to play with special consensus and um, how just talk a little bit about what it was like to to be in sort of that's that sort of uh kind of institution to sort of try to find your way into the group and, and uh, you know, what kind of experience you had with it? Uh, it was, I was in a bluegrass band at the time, so I was like, and I think we had met Special Con we'd played in Chicago, something had happened there, we'd crossed paths. Mm -hmm. And so it, it was, uh, I was coming to the end of like the work that I was doing, I was actually um, just doing a final year working in the public schools and figured I really don't want to keep doing this. Uh, uh, it was a, commuting to Detroit from Ann Arbor and it was, it was getting to be a real like time to do something else after five years. And um, 
so I, I signed on for a, I, I basically allowed a situation to, to go on like where I, I was asking Greg if he needed help, if he needed a, a, a band member when I knew that he did. <laughs> Cause, uh, um, so that we had that situation. It was, I didn't want to come right out and say it, but so I interviewed basically for a long, long time, like three months came out and sat in. Uh, with the band and and there was there was movement going on in the band at the time, but it was actually more than i I knew because people were shuffling around but the the band stayed pretty much the same it's they they needed um, a mandolin player can you play something that you would have been playing around that time some, some kind of blue oh blue something I've been playing around that time doesn't have to be specific to that here's one this is actually one that uh it's a Stanley Brothers song that was the sound check song. <laughs> but um, it's a great tune, um, and it's, it's one that definitely was going through my head when I moved to Chicago when I was here first time. Um, Stanley Brothers are a um, really great source of material, I think. They did a really great job of recycling all the old Carter family stuff, or not all of it, but some of it. And the, I really like their, their take on the blue and lonesome guy. <laughs> Um, let's see, how's this go? Uh, hand me down. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. you as a bluegrass player what do you kind of what do you look for in a song that kind of makes it pop out because you know a lot of the songs you know as you kind of joke when you're starting you know kind of have a similar sort of uh 
you know, chord structure oh, yeah. or, you know, um, so what makes a certain song jump out at you to play? Well, it's usually, a lot of times it's the, uh, the accoutrements, like the, even though the melodies are simple, some, some of them lend themselves to harmony really, mm-hmm. really well. And, um, so it's, it's the opportunities that I hear when I hear the melody and think, oh, that'd be really good if you had a harmony or, mm-hmm. um, um, or that's kind of low. Sometimes if the melody is a little lower, you can you can get a tenor part in a little easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm looking for I'm looking for. And then there's some melodies that are just pinned like right up at the top of the register, and you're gonna have to have like a really good tenor singer to make it above that. Um, so those kind of opportunities, and then also just the. Uh, I think the mixture at this point, the mixture of new and old has really got to be there. You got to have. There's got to be some of that. Um, craftsmanship from from an older bluegrass perspective, plus some ingenuity, some amount of ingenuity. Um, what are, what's so? What's the ingenuity? Like what? Well, sort of well, things? for example, like the Del McCurry band. That's the ingenuity is built in because that's dad and the kids, <laughs> and they're the like that's you know Jason Carter and Ronnie McCurry, and and uh, they're very very tuned into what's current and what's new and what's what what'll work or were, or were at least and um but they've got their father who's like got that real steady right. beat so it's like the perfect combination um i think the punch brothers represent really what's the what's the best of the new uh the new world of bluegrass and do you where where do you find yourself do you find yourself trying to keep up with with all the changes, or do you have a certain spot in between where you kind of like to be? That's yes, the yeah. latter. <laughs> I give it. I give it. I find that I, I as the, as I get older, the more I realize I just give myself permission to do what I to inhabit the spot that I like, and not not worry about what other people are doing as much. Did it take a little while to get there as a musician? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, because you know, as a musician, you're always trying to be as good as you can, and you want to you want to try to pick up from as many different sources. But and then stuff comes out, things come out. At a certain point, probably in everybody's life, music just goes south. You just go, oh, like I, I don't like this stuff anymore. I don't like this new stuff, you know. And so that's very easy to fall into that. And it's I think it's it's very hard to realize that that everyone goes through that. <laughs> and um, I think you know I've had many conversations with fellow teachers and players about about things and um it's important to just look for the good stuff basically because it's still it's always there or there's some reason why things are you know maybe not turning to way you like them and and, and there's probably a, a silver lining there somewhere and so do you when you first were starting to play were you just wanting to every time you saw something you wanted Wanted to learn that, or did you have a certain range of things you wanted to focus on? Well, I've ended up focusing a lot on on, um, on bluegrass because I liked the fact that it was really clean and everything was really the, there was a lot of craftsmanship that went into the and and I didn't I wasn't focusing on how everything was very similar, <laughs> but because if you listen to a lot of different bluegrass from different parts of the country, it doesn't all sound the same. the The rhythm the rhythm with it which it's executed is very different. Could is that possible to give an example of on the guitar, the different rhythms? Or? Oh, I kind of have my own rhythm, you know? <laughs> it's your rhythm, right, okay, right. Um, yeah, it makes but, sense. Um, 
Yeah, it's just hard. It would be hard to just different parts of the country have different rhythms. Or? Yeah, I mean, in the at least when I was listening to bluegrass in the South, there was a very heavy like a. And the bass was electric. There was a lot of electric bass in in, um, in southern bluegrasses, bluegrass uh-huh. players. So, do, 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 instead of dum 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 dum, uh-huh. subtle differences. But um, so what? Um, so what? What do you remember the moment when you're just like, uh, I don't, I I know what I am as a musician. I don't need to learn this new thing to try to keep up or anything like that? Oh, mm, yeah, I think that that kind of evolved out of probably at least the first 10 years of teaching at Old Town. <laughs> because I think that's that's what you're forced to do. You're put out on the front lines every, every night time you go out to teach, you're put out on the front lines to represent music and to try and bring people in so you have to really really mine what you really like mm-hmm. and and decide what you like and talk about it and demonstrate it every night so but it really did take uh i think it took w- relaxing after feeling like i'd reached a level of proficiency that i was comfortable with um how did how did you feel when you were facing your your first few classes oh terrified <laughs> yeah it's scary it's very scary I had to, like, the class had to help me through, pretty much. <laughs> um, but it got better. What, what was the, how did you end up teaching in the first place? How did I, um, how did I end up teaching? Uh, I've always been, I've always tried to communicate, like, music to people. Like, I would do that when I was a kid. I would try to teach people the stuff that I was learning, mm-hmm. you know, just because it's a good, it's the, my way of engaging with people. Um, so I was a natural for that, and then um, I decided I didn't really want to travel um, most of the year in a in a little red van <laughs> um, because it was just it was really hard uh, on on my personal life and on me personally physically hard. So it, then teaching presented the opportunity to be in one place um, and stay, which. It was still very hard because we opened this um, building here when I started in 1999, and we were under sort of understaffed in a way. We didn't have the staff to um, to meet the demand. The demand rose very quickly. We had we filled very very fast, and so and there weren't as many teachers as there are now. So I I was actually teaching private lessons and, and group classes every night and putting in 13 hour days working at Old Town routinely, like every day. So that was almost as hard as traveling around in a van. <laughs> but you got to sleep in your own bed. But I got least. to sleep in my own bed. Well, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you come home and you're, you still have a cold, your wife doesn't really want you to sleep. <laughs> Couch is over there. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's do another tune. Okay. Uh, well, let's see. Done this one in a while, but why not? Here's a tune that here's a tune I came up with. Filling time by killing time, never will heal a worried mind. Say that. 
and your seven things Moving in a dust cloud Chasing the rain Just another link In the chain Moving in a dust cloud Chasing the rain Just another link In the chain Start writing songs. Uh, oh, jeez. <laughs> Is that something you always did? Oh when, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, high school. High school? No, probably earlier. But never, you know, never well. My dad wrote songs too. My dad was a. He was. He couldn't piece it all together like. To all the time, but but you know, like he wasn't. He didn't like wake up and write a new song every day or anything like that. It was a lot of work for him. As it is for me to write a lot of to write a song, so it's not we never. But he he it was something he really liked to do, and he wrote he wrote like a very beautiful song for my mom's mother when she died, and I remember that clearly. Um, and I had a very short period of time where I was able to show my songs to my dad, and we were able to like talk about them, which was really great. Yeah. What what was his occupation? He was an economics instructor at a community college. Uh, in Silicon Valley, California. So was he was he excited to see you going into music or or? Not? I think so. Uh, it's hard to know. 
uh, totally for sure. He he has spent a lot of time. Uh, he liked to be involved. He's a serial monogamist. So after after he left my mom, it was like one woman after another. And so like, he, but he, but but it wasn't like a lot of. It was like literally like years with one, and then but they never he never married. So he was always very involved in with that. And uh, and and I you know I think he he just didn't know how to have a a real relationship by the time I became a uh, teenager. So that was, you know, fair enough. We, but, um, but there was a period of time after that, like when I was an adult, that was uh, quite good. So. And, uh, what did it feel like to share those songs with him? Oh, it was good. Yeah. He had good things to say. He had good, good, good feedback. He, I think he got, almost got so worked up himself that he had a hard time talking about too much about it. But, but he had a lot of good ideas. Very, he didn't say things like, "Oh, that's that just sucks." <laughs> that's good. Yeah, fortunately, I never had I never had that to, you know. Some people do have parents like that. <laughs> you, you said you have this instinct where if you learn something, you want to show it to someone. Was did you get that from your parents? Did they pass on the music to you in that way? Uh, I think. There is kind of a teaching gene, I think. Like my my grandfather was a teacher, and um, my dad was a teacher, um, and I didn't want to admit it, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, you did end up teaching again up, yeah. after all. That's true. Yeah, and it's good. It is. It is something that you slip into, and it's. Um, I don't think, at least in my dad's case, it wasn't just like you know those who can't do teach you know that you've heard that before that's like one of the nastiest things you'll ever hear um but that was definitely not the case with my dad he like wanted to teach so and uh, and as do you um do you ever think to yourself is this kind of this is kind of the right spot for me teaching and rather than being on the road and so on well this is yeah old town is definitely the right spot it's this this little con con confluence of location and uh, and mission and uh, business business uh, like directive that that exists here in Lincoln Square is super unique <laughs> and I, I saw that a mile away you know when I was traveling and and, and um, saw things shaping up over here mm-hmm. and, you know because I live really very close I lived over on um, Damon and Cullum so I was in the neighborhood, uh-huh. and I and I was like, "Some this looks good." <laughs> and then, then my wife came and took the tour because they did a tour of the building when they were working on it in like 1999, 19 no no 1997 I think. So it was unfinished, unfinished, and she she finished the tour and she said, "Yeah, they're gonna need you." <laughs> so I was like, "Great." <laughs> and you also uh, work at the the archives, right? The, yeah. Uh, what's What's that like? What what do you, oh, what's your job entail there? It's it's a great job. Uh, it basically, um, you know that old joke about the uh, kid, the optimist. How you tell if someone's an optimist because they they go into a room full of shit, <laughs> and and the optimist says, "This is great. This is great. Why? Well, there must be a pony in here somewhere." <laughs> and that's me. <laughs> Um, I think I feel like because we when I when I inherited the job that everything was in boxes or, or scattered around, and we had we had a complete resource center over at Armitage, but it was it had all been moved up here, 
and it was just it was a mess. I mean, it was like a small room full of a lot of a lot of junk. Um, so I enjoyed I enjoyed getting on top of that. It took me I had I had a database help with developing a database, developing a shelving code system. It took me at least three to five years to get that to where I was happy with it, and it was just I, I can't, it was like a lot of fun. <laughs> I really, it was, I felt very lucky and I still do because I, I have, I'm able to have projects continue like that. I get like right now I'm facing a 10 years of dat tapes that were the La Pena music series. Um, back, some of you might remember Wednesday nights was a Latin American music series. And so all that stuff's on dat tape because the guy who was the curator for that series wanted them to be on dat tape. It's like really hard to get stuff off of that tape. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I started an archive. I had, in 2006, we got some money to start an archive. And I, I have, I'm looking at these going, you know, I actually have the capacity to do this now. And I could take this on and we could get all these transferred. And maybe we, and I could even like, you know, that could be my new room full of stuff. <laughs> so I'm able to, I'm able to, it's great. I'm able to do that on a, on a regular basis. What are some of the other things you've found that have been exciting over the years? Uh, we have a reel-to-reel collection that was donated by George and Jerry Armstrong, which was, I think, George, George Armstrong's lifelong collection. And um, it's f- stunning. I mean, it's, again, the, when people store things on reel-to-reel tapes, they, they, they create a, quite a bit of a backlog, and a, and a lot of it's just garbage, right? Because it's like they, they'll record solid gold off of TV, you know, <laughs> and then put that right next to like this incredible tape. Um, so because it was a, you know, that's how people stored their music back then. So sorting through that, we, we've done several batches of those and we found things like they would go on vacation and they would go down to North Carolina and hang out with the same people that Alan Lomax recorded and, and find, find these people and like hang with them and, and record, do their own version of field recording with them with the, the, Armstrongs would find these people and then s- record themselves singing songs with with like Hattie Purcell or um, the uh, Pearl Hicks or like these are all like incredible singers like who are like no one would know anything about except for the fact that Alan Lomax found them and so George and Jerry Armstrong who were founding members of the Old Town that was their hobby <laughs> to go find these people, sing with them, and record. So we, up on SoundCloud, you can find on the Old Town School of SoundCloud um, page, you can find a lot of these recordings, and it's some of it will just make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. So some of it you're looking and you go through, and it's like, oh, this just doubled the amount of recordings we have by this person, or something like that. Where, where you thought it was limited to this much yeah. from the Lomaxes, and right. hey, look, there's more. Well, yeah, and Lomax was a, doing a very, very studied thing where he would just record the subject, you know, and so uh-huh. you, there was no interaction. <laughs> it was just like it was, it was, and and he got some incredible results too. Mm-hmm. But this, this was like, hey, let's jump on that other side of that microphone and sing with him. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's pretty, it's amazing. They were, uh, there's some. Th- th- I tried to grab as much as I could uh, of the good stuff and. You can find it on our SoundCloud page. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's play play another song for us. If, sure, of your choosing. Uh. Uh. Okay. How about how about an, how about a? These are, everything's ending up in the same key, but I guess that's all right. Um. 
Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's do let's do this. The the thing about the bluegrass guitar thing is I'm I'm actually a mandolin fiddle player by by trade. That's what I do is play mandolin and fiddle, and make jokes about guitar players. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but we could do this. Let's do this. This'll, this'll get us out of this rut. I'll do a few of these, a few verses from this tune that we put in here called, um, I'm very happy about it. It's one called Tenting Tonight. Has anybody ever heard Tenting Tonight? Yeah. Yeah. I, I showed this to a class last, last night, actually. I said, oh, we got this song. It's called Tenting Tonight. And this guy goes, oh, yeah, I sang that in like Boy Scout camp. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. It was this big, but no one, not a lot of people do remember it now. But it's um, pretty much, I did, I did do a project once where I sang sheet music from the Civil War era. It was from the North, sheet music from the North. So there was a bunch of songs about like, let's go get those Southern rebels. And, and it, it was a wild project. Um, uh, but so I, I was drawn to this one. This will get us out of bluegrass mode because I won't use my capo. <laughs> but apparently this song was banned by the army, the Northern Army, because it was bumming people out too much. <laughs> <laughs>
sing tonight on the old campground. All the fires are flickering low. Still are the sleepers that lie all around as the sentinels come and go Good singing, good singing. I just realized I, I know that one by <laughs> M- Mississippi John Hurt's uh, preaching tonight yes. on the old campground. Yes. So I, was, I had a look at it on my phone. I go, Am I imagining this? No, yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I forgot to mention it. Yeah. <laughs> I had um, the person who helped me a lot with the attributions, uh, well, actually, was the guy who was the organizing principal behind all the attributions that are on these pages and wrote the introduction was uh, Sule Greg Wilson, who's a he's a he's basically a he's a folklorist and, and a scholar. He resides in in scholars out in Arizona, uh, but he used to work for the Smithsonian. He's an African American banjo player who started a little thing called the the Black Banjo Gathering in Northern I think it was North Carolina. Um, but and basically, by just part and parcel with that was was pretty much there and part of the forming of the Carolina Chocolate Drops. So, but he's a lot older than those guys. So they were like, "Hey, let's get in a van and travel around." He's like, "No." <laughs> um, plus, he had a lot going on anyway. I got um, stuff to write. <laughs> <laughs> but so he's a great uh, source, and and he's actually great. He's a great musician, and he's a great uh, like champion of the idea. That that it's it's okay it's good it's healthy uh, to go back to periods of time where you know traditions stopped or were interrupted or society forced them to be negative, which is what happened with minstrel um, behavior. And but and and look back on old ways and look and looking back and see take it apart see what what made that what made that good, what was good that could come out of that. So that's, it's a general, it's like a Savoka principle is what he calls it. It's part of, it's an African principle of um, honoring the past in that way. And so he's made it a life's work to honor the string band music um, as a source of African-American, an outlet for African-American music. The, the, in, and, and a lot of ways, in, 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 if you listen to him talk long enough, you, and I have, you've come to really believe that there would have, the, the whole concept of a string band was not a white thing. It was it was something that came about as a result of African influence, African American influence, and it's it's and um, so yeah, this this song um, 
like it, there's a sort of a shared heritage there um, with with it, and hard to say which came first, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had one use for it, someone else. Someone had another, another use for it. Yeah. How how do you decide that? How do you, you know, probably most of these songs have at least yeah. dozens of versions out there. How do you pick r- which line and which you know which version, which words to use? It was hard. It was it was really it was weird too. We went into a lot of weirdnesses. I went into things that Sule didn't even couldn't even didn't even know. Um, which is like, for example, this little light of mine. We always think, oh, this little light of mine. That's a that's a spiritual, right? Uh-huh. You know, that's that's right. That's got to be. That's the, <laughs> well, it, if if you look on if you do research on it and look at it, it actually was written by or purported to be written by a, a person from Moody Bible Institute. Huh. So a white, a white source, but um, but it but it was taken by the it was taken by the um, civil rights movement as a as a, a useful tool, <laughs> right, and and used in battle. So um, yeah, a lot of lot of things going on there. <laughs> but so yeah, we had to kind of we came up with some some pretty general categories, really. Do you, when you're teaching, do you try to impart that, or do you just focus on the music with students? Oh, I, you know, they get tired of hearing me talk for sure. <laughs> um, I know that, so there's you try to keep it a little bit. But but on the other hand, people play a lot better if if you let them relax uh-huh. a little bit and talk to them, <laughs> and and they are interested in the history. So, what what would you say is kind of most challenging thing about about being a teacher at the school oh most challenging thing parking (laughs) (laughs) the same as the most challenging thing about being a student (laughs) pretty much Uh, I don't know Uh, you feel like you're a kind of I mean you've been doing it for a while does it kind of this class starts to sort of run itself, or you oh no, get anxious no. about it. No, the things don't. No, it, every it's an eight-week session, right? So, you know, you can you can pretty much predict what things are going to be like at different points in the session, mm-hmm. um, and it's so it's it's it, it requires a lot of maintenance. It's it's a it's a running it's a machine that's running twenty-four-seven. Honestly, I mean, there's somebody in that building probably all the time you know and so it's a it's all it's running all the time so you have to maintain it you have to like go in and turn a dial or turn turn you know make sure that everything's an adjustment um it's like a it's like a living organism kind of with all the people that are there and um so it which i think that's that's not terrible it's just that you have to you have to i guess the hard part there is you have to figure out when you're going to go home you know and, and when you're going to how you're going to make your division because um, it's to me it's very like it's very exciting what's going on there and and I used to work seven days a week there um, and I'm still reachable by cell phone when something goes wrong in the resource center or something like that <laughs> but um, you kind of have to draw the you have to you have to say this is my corner this is my piece of the machine I will I will turn these dials. <laughs> What's what's some of um, the things that people come to you with requests at the resource center? Oh, uh, the copiers out of paper. 
<laughs> that doesn't give you much room to, no. for historical explanation. No, no, no. No, I get, I get, I get at least three students wanting to do papers, three, three students a month. Mm-hmm. Not uh, like Northwestern students or DePaul students who, who want to, you know, they want to interview, they want to, they want to know the story of the old town school. They want so um, we we set up a exhibit last year that's a bunch of pictures for each era mm-hmm. of the school, and they're exhibited out around where the resource, the backside of the resource center. And there's a um, accompanying um, app called Vamond that that features this long book length. Um, tour of those pictures, so you can watch, you can look at the pictures, and then you go on the app, and you get this, you get the history plus more pictures plus video, and that's for anybody. This app, yeah, or what yeah. is it called? It's called it's called the, the app is called Vermont, and nice. it's a tour software. Okay, so it'll it's take you for a tour of our history. So I, I'm able to honor that. This will be like the first time this year when I'm as those requests come in, I'm able to just say. Do you have a smartphone? <laughs> walk around, you know, walk around by these pictures, look at all this, and, and check it out first, and then we'll we'll talk. <laughs> I gotta go fix the copy machine. Yeah, I gotta go fix the copy machine. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> um, what's something that uh, kind of surprises you about about the Old Town School? Kind of as you look through its history and stuff like that, is there something that kind of oh. I didn't expect that. Oh, there's lots of that. There's, I think if you look really close at the school, you're, everybody's gonna, everybody will find things that are to blow them away. I guess right away, the first thing that blew me away was how close and how friendly the founders were with um, Mahalia Jackson and Big Bill Brunzi, mm-hmm. and and how really that was just a real close link. Uh, like we're talking about, like carrying the casket to the to the grave, link. You know, that's what. Winstruck he did for Bill, um, and everything before that too. But um, and also just about how uh, things, how when in in the McCarthy era when things were really, you know, hard, hitting hard and people were getting blackballed, and um, people there's only that that really affected uh, a couple of the people who were founders here, and um, they just blew through it. <laughs> I mean, like under that amount of pressure, they just they they were just like whatever, you know. We're gonna we're gonna start a school. Studs Sturkle started his own radio show, and Winstruck he started the Old Town School, and just said, well, it doesn't matter, you know, because uh, they felt like they were doing they wanted to do what they felt was right. You 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 lead me to ask. You think there would have been an Old Town School if there wasn't a, a blacklist kind of keeping these. Luminaries really out of the national no, spotlight. No, I don't think so. Be- because when Strucky was on syndicated TV, I mean, or not syndicated, he was on uh, ne- uh, network TV right. every morning, you know, and and like making pretty good money. Like had a had a guest, a vacation home in Michigan, mm-hmm. and family, and um, you know, theoretically, that kind of job you don't ever leave. <laughs> <laughs> but that decision was kind of made for him. It's it's interesting. I hadn't hadn't thought of it that way before. Uh, let's do another tune. Oh my god! What do I want to hear? You got a book in front of you. We yeah. got about two more, so maybe okay. do one more. And uh, any requests? Any requests? <laughs> I guess so. We should have bought it by now. <laughs> 
<laughs> what? What? Well, you know what's in the book. What? This is the best one, right? Yeah. It's good, right? Yeah. Um, we could do an old timey one. How about that? Sounds good. This one. Uh, here's one. This is in the old book, but it's better. <laughs> is it better? Has it been changed? Or? Um, no, I just the, the the chart has been changed. It it was a. Uh, where is it? I'm looking here for going down to Cairo. It's it's just a little more readable. Plus, it's got it's got a melody with it that you could play if you were playing fiddle or mandolin, or you could play it with a guitar too. But I can't read guitar. <laughs> um, it's a good tune though. You guys probably all know this, right? Going down to Cairo. So good. So you can sing with it. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So. The story, the story behind this song is that it, it is it is African American in origin, but it's about Cairo, Cairo, Illinois. Like, it's a play, it's like a play party type situation. Like you would sing the song and do a do a, like a play a play party thing because dancing was banned in your county and you had to do a play party instead. <laughs> A play party is is there's songs that you do that you do like action to walk around do do it's not dancing right because dancing is was illegal in in a lot of counties but um but it, so it's like it's like a cake a cakewalk kind of thing you you would it's a song with motions that you would make and uh, um it's from that origin but um C- Cairo Illinois was right on the the Mississippi River. Oh, the Ohio River. Yeah. 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 And uh, it was where a lot of stuff was shipped out. Grain was shipped out. So farmers would go there. Um, I was really stunned to find that one after another reference said that this was definitely African-American. When I researched it, I was like, whoa. (laughs) Um, Because Cairo is one of the more racist places you'd want to go in Illinois. And I, and I, had, I once had a student who was an AC, uh, uh, worked for the ACLU and said that they would do all their test cases in Cairo. <laughs> Will it play in Cairo? <laughs> but this one's about going and um, uh, doing some gambling, visiting prostitutes, that kind of thing. Yeah, Riverboat Town. Going down to Cairo, goodbye, goodbye. Going down to Cairo, goodbye, Lost Jane. Black them boots, make them shine, goodbye, goodbye. Black them boots and make them shine, goodbye, Lost Jane. Going away to leave you, ain't it a shame? Going Goodbye, Liza Jane. Well, I ain't got 
Liza Jane Well, I got no hat and it's got no brim Goodbye, goodbye Got no hat and it's got no brim Goodbye, Liza Jane I'm going down to Cairo Goodbye, goodbye Going down to Cairo Goodbye, Liza Jane Oh, I'll be yours If you be mine, goodbye to talk a little bit also about the bluegrass jam you do in this room. Yeah, yeah. How, when did you start doing that? Oh, yeah. Uh, three years ago? What do you think? Three? It's been... It feels like it could be four. I think, like, at the, at the first year, it was just... We would, like, literally get together in the uh, gazebo mm-hmm. in summertime, and, and then it... Then it started to have this, it was this venue, plus it was Big Bricks. So it was twice a month. Um, and that's, that, that was, in the, in the early stages, I wasn't actually hosting it. I was just showing up uh, because there was this huge group <laughs> of, ki- of, I would have to say kids. I mean, we're talking 22, 23-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, kids. And, but they were, they were all super into it and also had done whatever time they needed to do to learn how to play. So it was like a very incredible situation for me because I've been waiting to have some kind of bluegrass gym since I moved here in 95. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> and then what was great was that it settled down a little bit and I started co-hosting it with a couple of the other people. Um, and like all the, the grumpy old, you know, codgers who I knew met when I moved here started showing up to play too. <laughs> so it's been, it's been a good multi-generational thing. Uh, it's Mondays. It's the fourth Monday of every month here at, here at the Grafton. And we do, it, we do it as a curated thing first. So like for the first hour and a half or two hours, we'll put little bands together and they'll play like right here. Just so there's just four or five people playing. And then we make the big circle later and play together. Just, just so that we can have like a little bit of variety. And well, I wanted to ask you before we wrap up. You know, you've got you're an archivist, you're a musician, you're a teacher. Which role do you, if you had to stick with only one, what would it be? Oh, I would never stick. I don't. I don't know. That's a good question. It's it's hard work being a 
just a full-time musician that's that's pretty painful and pretty much the major there i don't know of any really that have kids <laughs> that that they see very much um or or successful marriages i mean it's that's that that'll clean you out really fast i mean i saw that coming so the balance has been pretty useful for me mm-hmm. um and every year that goes by i see stuff happening in the music industry that i don't really want to be part of um, the, the wider industry, and especially the touring industry, I think the, 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 what's what makes it out there in the touring world is a lot different, and, and there's a lot less. It's it's pretty much people who are willing to throw their whole lives away. It's what I can from what I can see, or um, and like there there's not that there wasn't there was a little more variety I think when I was people were sort of able to be a little bit in the touring world and out of the touring world, and now it's like you are or you aren't. So I guess I'm happy to be <laughs> not that. not not, not estimating how much gas I need to pay for every week. <laughs> well, for you, it's it's that balance. It sounds like you get to do you get to do music, you get to teach, you get to do the archives. Yeah, like it's been it's been really good. Um, hopefully, it'll hopefully. Um, I think there's more of a, at least in the archive world, there's always been room for that. People, some of the best musicians, like the Dudley Connell, who was the lead singer for the um, Bluegrass, no, for uh, 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 the Johnson Mountain Boys, um, worked at the Smithsonian, like, for forever. Um, so there's plenty of stories like that. Um, Joe Hickerson, who was one, who's an incredible folklorist and, and song finder and performer, too, great performer. Archive of American Folk Culture. Worked there forever. <laughs> cool, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking with you, and we're looking forward to seeing the new book. Yeah. And thanks a lot for sharing a little bit about your, your life and your music. Um, let's do one more. Okay. Uh, like everybody, uh, give them a big hand, please, too. Thanks. Yeah. Group. All right. This one's a sing-along. Is that, is that, wait a minute, I'm trying to think. This is a this is a Joe this is one I got from Joe Higgerson. Made me think of Joe. My mother-in-law actually taught me this song. She's a really great voice teacher and uh and folky. <laughs> and she always liked Joe's stuff. So. <laughs> but this one and this one's from a um originally from a source recording. It's from a recording that was at the Archive of American Folk Culture. Uh, from a, a singer called Boozy Studevent. Ain't no gray can hold my body down, my body down. Ain't no gray can hold my body down. My 
body down when that first crumpet sounds I'll be getting up and walking around ain't no grave can hold my body down my body down well I've heard about a place called with gold But I've never been to heaven But oh Lord I've been told When I arrive at the throne of grace I believe He'll appoint my soul to play Ain't no grave can hold I bought it down Well, Jesus was hanging on that cross Lord, it made poor Mary moan And he looked down on his disciples Saying, won't you take my mama home Wasn't that a pity? Good Lord, a shame Thank you.